I must make a confession. This morning, I about scrapped everything I am about to preach in wrestling with it. One of the downsides of uh, my fellow elders' encouragement of redoing a few sermon series early on is the fact that I have to wrestle with what I previously preached and then begin to get in my own head and own mind. Was it actually good the first time and right? Therefore, this morning, as of 6 o'clock, I'm wrestling. Do I go back and revert to what I did a year ago? Or do I stick with how the Lord has been at work in my heart this week? By God's grace, my heart seems a little more settled and will stick with what had originally worked for this week. But as we do, I want to talk to us this morning about something that seems strange and yet not so strange. And that is marriage proposals. Have you ever thought on marriage proposals of how much culture dictates what we do and don't do in a marriage proposal? If it was based on culture alone, mine failed. I didn't propose to Darcy in a fancy restaurant or in a beautiful scenery. There was no photographer. There was no evidence of it, although that was not all on me. She can tell you that story herself one day. But, but it's interesting how much culture dictates these things. You know, in, even in, in the midst of the family I was marrying into, it was thought differently of whether or not I should ask my soon-to-be father-in-law for his permission or not. He didn't think it necessary, and I told him that if the, the man whose ring I was given, Darcy, my grandpa's ring to my grandmother, he would come out of his grave and kill me if I didn't ask for permission. See, culture dictates what a marriage proposal looks like and how it's shaped. Some cultures, it's not about getting down on a knee and asking the question, will you marry me? It's about giving a bridal price to the bride's family in order to pay for the bride. This is what happens in other cultures. It seems strange to us because that's not our culture. And that's the same thing with Ruth 3. We look at Ruth 3 and this going to a threshing floor and seem as something strange and odd is happening. And part of that oddity is because we just don't understand culture. We're lost in our own American individualistic society and don't understand what other cultures do. And what's appropriate in those settings, particularly in the ancient Middle East, where Ruth goes to the threshing floor and proposes to Boaz, which is even odd for that time. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Ruth chapter three this morning. We're going to continue our study there. Uh, If you have a Red Pew Bible, it is there on page number 263 this morning. As we've journeyed through Ruth the last few weeks, we have seen a pendulum shift, especially in the heart of Naomi. Back in Ruth 1.20, we see this from Naomi. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. But at the end of Ruth 2, Naomi's mourning has turned to rejoicing there in Ruth 2.20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi moves from hopelessness to hope. And that's where we pick up in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord from Ruth 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Then it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished cast eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest. But we'll settle the matter today. Now, the first time I did this, the emphasis was on the rest, which is not a bad emphasis to have. It was on the fact that the Lord will ensure his rest comes to his people, and therefore we need to patiently wait for it. And that is true. But I also miss the beauty of the kindness. That was being shown through Naomi and Ruth and Boaz in light of God's kindness to them. And that's what I think the main idea then of Ruth chapter 3 is this morning. The main idea is this. As the sovereign kindness of God has been shown to us, we therefore are to show that same kindness to one another. 
As the sovereign kindness of God has been shown to us, we therefore are to show that same kindness to one another. We're going to unfold this in three points this morning. Point number one, godly kindness to others requires strategy. Godly kindness to others requires strategy. Point number two, godly kindness to others requires risk. Godly kindness to others requires risk. And point number three, godly kindness to others requires determination. Godly kindness to others requires determination. Let's look at point number one. Godly kindness to others requires strategy. Now, just as a side note, these points are handlebars. They're handlebars from like a bicycle to hold on to and hang on throughout the sermon. This way, especially younger parents, if your kids distract you in the middle and you're like, where in the world are we? You've got something to grab onto by reminding yourself of what this point is. It helps you hang on. It's like the gears turning and getting us in the right direction. That's exactly what these are. It's to help us to know where we're going along the way. So point number one, godly kindness to others requires strategy. The darkness of hopelessness had overwhelmed Naomi at the end of chapter one. She told her daughters-in-law, why go back with me? Go back to your own home, your own mother's house, because to go with me is essentially hopeless. The Lord has dealt bitter with me. When the, she returns to Bethlehem, the, she tells the women, like, why are you calling me Naomi? Call me Mara. The Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. She couldn't see that there was redeemers within the family set aside by the law of God. But as God, in his kindness, providentially works through Ruth and Boaz, putting them in the same field, hope begins to return for Naomi. She begins to see that there is hope, and this begins to turn everything. In his book, uh, Sex, Race, and Sovereignty of God, John Piper writes this. Hope helps us think up ways to do good. Hope helps us pursue our ventures with virtue and integrity. Hope helps us think up ways to do good. Hope helps us pursue our ventures with virtue and integrity. Naomi has seen God's kindness and it has brought hope. And now she begins to see what is before her. Verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi knows her daughter-in-law, Ruth, needs rest. This is her greatest need. She needs rest from her labor. She needs rest to ensure provisions are always there for her. Naomi has seen God's kindness to her in both Ruth and Boaz's kindness to Ruth and to her. And it has awakened her to hope, hope to strategize and make a plan, a plan to provide rest. She's seen God's sovereign kindness, but she doesn't sit back idly in the midst of God's sovereign kindness and just await and hope that rest comes. She realizes she is a means to that. Therefore, she says in verse two, 
Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. The light bulb goes off. As I said last week in Ruth 2, as Naomi recognizes the man in whose field you were, this Boaz, he's a redeemer. And it's clicking for Naomi. She wants to provide rest for Ruth through this man, Boaz. The one she just happened to stumble into his field. The worthy man who is a redeemer. She wants to pair the two together. So she strategizes a plan, a plan to encourage Ruth and say, go to this man. Here is the answer. Here's the provision for the rest you need in this Boaz. And what a plan it is. Verses three and four. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking But when he lies down and observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. The barley and the wheat harvest in which Ruth was laboring in Boaz's fields have come to an end. It is the habit at the end of these for them to harvest these at night. That way the coolness of the wind of night can blow the chaff away as they separate the two. The very coolness of the air that Naomi wants Ruth to ensure Boaz's feet fill. That's why she tells him to uncover Boaz's feet. So the coolness of the air can hit. But as we hear this plan, something just seems off. It seems like a foolish plan, a hasty plan here of Naomi at first glance. Naomi, why are you telling this young woman, this young Moabite woman to go at night to the threshing floor and telling her to lie down at a man's feet and uncover them? What in the world, Naomi? This is surely hasty and foolishness. Shouldn't you trust the sovereignty of God to pair these two in another way? But that's not at all what's going on in Naomi. Naomi is trusting God, yes, but she's setting a plan here and encouraging her daughter to take off the garments of mourning, to put them aside and to anoint herself as one ready for marriage. One now who is over the grieving process, who no longer is covered in ashes, but has the garments of a young lady ready for marriage. Believe it or not, The the sign of singleness isn't always a ring in cultures. Now, I I might date myself here a little bit and uh, expose kind of the thoughts of my own mind as a single man. It was, you know, to see if somebody was single or not was to look, is there an engagement ring? Is there a wedding ring? That's not the sign in every culture. In the Middle East, it would have been the culture of clothing. And this is why Naomi tells Ruth to put these old garments off and put on the garments of a maiden ready to be married. That way it is clear to Boaz that you are over this. You're still mourning your husband, yes, but you are ready to move on. 
It would be like a widow taking off her wedding ring and engagement ring as her husband has passed and said, I am now in a place I can move on a little bit. Yes, I still miss my ex-husband, but I'm able to move on. This is what is happening, what Naomi is encouraging Ruth here. She wants to show her the strategic kindness in making sure rest is provided for her. And in order for this to happen, she must show Boaz I'm not still a grieving and mourning widow who is not capable of marriage. Here, Boaz, I am ready. So she tells Ruth to go down to the threshing floor and to do this. Brothers and sisters, do we see that we are God's means of kindness to others? But it requires strategic planning. It requires strategy for us to carry this out. It doesn't just happen. We don't just go and show kindness to others without any plan in action. Ruth here accepts this plan. She says there in verse 5, And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Friends, I want to ask you, how do you approach Sunday morning gathering? Do you just get in the car and show up through routine without any strategy of how you are going to be God's means of kindness to one another? Do you ever stop to think and plan, how can I actually do good to those around me in need? How can I strategize and put myself in a position to reach out to somebody I really don't know? How can I strategize and plan to ensure that I'm connecting with somebody who I know is hurting right now and needs that word of encouragement? Can I strategize to make myself aware throughout the service of somebody that just seems off and might need a kind word and somebody to pray with them? If we just sit here and show up without strategizing, we will miss how we are the means of kindness to others. Brothers and sisters, let us not miss this. Let us, even as small as we are, not neglect to make sure we are knowing one another right now. Brothers and sisters, the the hope of every evangelical church is to see us reach the lost and to grow, to bring in new people into the kingdom. But one of the things that we miss is in the rush to do that, actually getting to know one another. We must strategize now of how to ensure that we know one another and know one another well to display God's kindness to each other. To display God's kindness in how to actually meet real needs, to be able to encourage one another along the way. Yes, we trust God's sovereign kindness. But part of trusting that sovereign kindness is to see us strategize to be a means to displaying that kindness to others because of the kindness God has shown us and the hope he has given us in Christ. But showing kindness to others doesn't only require strategic planning. As we well know from the book of James, plans fail. Plans don't go as planned. There's also risk involved as we show kindness to others. And that is point number two. Godly kindness to others requires risk. Verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Ruth goes down to the threshing floor. She takes the journey down in the middle of the night, making herself vulnerable. 
She risk, puts herself at risk in order to pursue this plan. To be able to show God's kindness to others. For Ruth, it requires risk of vulnerability, of going down in the middle of the night. But not only vulnerability from the elements of what could come in the midst of this darkness in the journey. Verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Ruth takes further risk in following this plan and making herself vulnerable. She, a Moabite woman, here is going to this Israelite man and saying, essentially, will you marry me? There's the vulnerability and the risk of it of rejection. Then there's the risk of her motives being perceived wrongly or her making a wrong move. Imagine somebody coming and uncovering your feet in the middle of the night unexpectedly. What are you going to do? Are you not going to let out a loud noise of what the heck or who is there or a louder scream? Maybe even some of you men let out a girly scream in the middle of it of unexpectedness. Ruth makes one wrong move here. Boaz lets out a yell of some sort and exposing her here and her thought of being as a promiscuous woman, one worthy of death by Israelite law. Because she comes in the middle of the night advancing sexually instead of what she was there for. She takes a risk to follow this plan. She takes a risk in all of it. And yet she goes through. She goes through because of showing kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. In following her plan, taking her encouragement and wanting to see Naomi provided rest for. Ruth doesn't seek rest just for herself, but for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And for her former husband. Because she's going to a family redeemer. She's going to one who can redeem the name of her deceased husband and carry on his lineage, his family line. And again, in our culture, this may or may not mean something, but in the ancient world, it means everything for that name to carry on. So Ruth's kindness here is shown. This Boaz is able to redeem her. And what happens? He wakes up. Verse 8 and 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. These are the very words Boaz had previously prayed from Ruth 2.12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In Ruth coming to Boaz, despite the risk, she shows kindness even here to Boaz in saying, you're the worthy man whose kindness can carry this out. You're the worthy man whose wings can cover me as God's wings cover us. I take refuge under the Lord who has provided you as the means of this kindness. Ruth shows this kindness and Boaz recognizes it. Verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Ruth here takes risk. She doesn't go after the means of what would have been easy, what would have been normative by culture. She doesn't go after those more close to her age. She goes after a much older man of Boaz. Remember, Boaz keeps calling Ruth, my daughter, my daughter, signifying her much younger age than his. She goes to him, not in the means of what should be normative, but in the means of kindness to Naomi and to her deceased husband. This is the kindness that risk makes worth it. This is, is risk is worth it when we are able to show this kind of kindness to one another. For Ruth here and Boaz to the risk of being deceived as sexually immoral pops up. Again, the setting. Imagine the fact that they're here in the darkness of the threshing floor at night. Here uncovering a blanket, laying at feet. The author of Ruth sets this up for us to think, whoa, something's off here. And then to be awakened. What happens? What transpires? This is the risk. And yet notice what they do. Verse 11 and following. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman. Dropping down uh, to, to verses 13 and 14. Remain tonight and in the morning. If you will redeem, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. In the midst of all of this building up to the potential of sexual immorality, Worthiness prevails. The risk of immorality, the risk of sin was there, and yet they took it because they trusted one another as worthy. They entrusted one another in their worthiness as they found refuge under God. Part of risk in living as Christians is to risk in the midst of where compromise is possible to stand firm. Part of being a faithful Christian is seeing the risk at hand and being able to stand firm, even if it means we might seem ostracized or thought wrongly of. Christian, do you catch that? The culture around us wants us to see Ruth 3 as a story of perversion. So many different commentaries want to take Ruth 3 as this, and yet it's a picture of standing firm and risking and going against all of this to show kindness when it's unthought of. Christian, will we be the type of Christian who risk everything in order to pour out kindness to one another? To show these loving steps of kindness, no matter if the world thinks we're crazy or tries to twist the story on why we do it. Let us stand firm and take such risk. It will require for us to show godly kindness. It will require us to take risk to stand 
firm in godliness, it will also require risk for us being made vulnerable like Ruth. Christian, if we're to show godly kindness to one another, it's going to mean we're vulnerable to rejection and to hurt. Godly kindness to one another means we are going to be vulnerable to hurt from one another because we are still living in this side of Eden. We are still living this side of heaven. We are not there yet. We are still dwelling with sinners. Part of showing godly kindness to one another means that we're risking being hurt by one another. But we must take that risk if we are to show godly kindness to one another as God has shown us kindness. But that's just the thing. This kindness from us is not meant to us to muster up within our own strength. It's not meant to us to be the ones deciding what is kindness and how to display this kindness. It comes from God himself and what he has shown us in Christ. He has sent his only begotten son into the world in order to redeem us. He has shown us kindness when we were still sinners. Christ died for us at the right time. Christ died for us in that. Do we see the kindness we have received in Jesus? It is because of this kindness, because of God's faithful kindness to us, that we show this kindness in return to one another. It can never be of ours. It is in response to what God has already done for us. But not only does godly kindness require risk, it requires determination. Let's look back to verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. A hiccup to the plan arises. Oops, sorry. A hiccup arises in the plan. Boaz informs Ruth, I'm not the priority of redeemers. There's actually another nearer to I. And I must tell him first. It required Boaz here takes a loving kindness risk of losing Ruth, even though he sees her as a worthy woman, even though it would be commendable to pursue her. He must go to this near redeemer first and say, we need to talk. We'll see that in Ruth four. But he is faithful in it. But not only that, he's faithful in order to Ensure, Ruth, the rest you seek will come. Verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. The very rest Ruth is seeking for her and Naomi is guaranteed. Boaz says, essentially, I'm determined to bring this about. I'm determined that this matter is settled. You will have your rest tomorrow, Ruth. Lie down and rest easy. And he shows this. He seals this with a gift. Verses 14 and 15. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let us... Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor and he said, bring the garment you were wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. He gives her a bridal price. He gives her saying here, this is the guarantee that this rest you seek is coming. 
Boaz is determined to ensure his kindness goes above and beyond what he has already done. He is willing to show kindness to both Ruth and Naomi and their family line by saying this matter is done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. He's determined to bring it about. And Naomi even recognizes this. Verse 16 through 18. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This determination of Boaz provides comfort for Ruth. She is able to be told, literally, sit still. It's done. It's going to be settled. Here you can have this rest. His word is final. See the determination of Boaz to bring this rest about. But again, this isn't merely a story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz It's not merely a story of them mustering up this kindness within themselves. It's because of what they have received in God. Ultimately, through the looking ahead to the coming of Christ. Friends, we need to see here that Boaz has spread his wings over Ruth in determination to show kindness to her because God himself has Put his wings over us. Again, look back to verse. uh, Sorry, verse nine or verse. Sorry, I'm getting my place lost here. Uh, Verses eight and falling at midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman laid his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. The redeemer God himself has spread his wings over us in Christ. He has spread his wings over us in saving us. He has spread his wings over us, inviting us to come to him and find that much needed rest we have in Christ. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're weary of trying to clean yourself up and make yourself presentable to God. If you're here this morning and weary of trying to earn God's favor, look no further. Rest has come. It has come through a person and work of Jesus Christ. It has come through him alone. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And much needed rest is offered in Jesus, friend. Come to him. The Christian, this means for us, too, that we need to be assured of God's determination to bring about his promised rest to us in Jesus. Yes, we are still living in east of Eden. We are still living as exiles in this world. And yet, and yet we can have assurance that God will not stop. His plans will not be thwarted by anything of this world. He will bring his plans to pass. He will ensure that we come to that land of Canaan, our fair and happy land 
where our rest is, where all our possessions lie. We will come to that day because of what Christ has done, because of the promise of his spirit. We can rest in knowing that. God's plans are determined. He will bring this about. Brothers and sisters, let us then, as a means as we wait on that day, continue to Labor to show kindness to one another. Let us outdo one another in showing kindness. Let us be strategic in how we bring that kindness about. Let us take risks in making ourselves vulnerable and putting ourselves out there to others. Even if there may come hurt and rejection, let us do it in order to return God's kindness to others and show it to them and model it to them. And let us be determined Let us be a determined people to be kind to one another because Christ has shown us the greatest of kindness when we were the ones who put him on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord.